Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Fem Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. So no one told you that was gonna be this way. Originally intended to be a theme song and nothing more, I'll Be There For You gave the Rembrandts a top 20 billboard hit on the wings of NBC's juggernaut of a sitcom, Friends. The visual that the song provokes in everyone's mind, however, that of a group of white 20-something Manhattanites dancing and clapping around a fountain, soon led to the band actually apologizing for the song on MTV News. This week, High School Slumber Party's Brian Rodriguez joins us to discuss not only the career of the Rembrandts, but also his fandom of the 90s sitcom. Welcome to the show. You are here to talk about a TV theme song. Should this be the TV theme song that we're talking about, though? I feel like there's a lot of good ones out there. I know which one's charted. Is this the one? Is this the one? I don't... Is this the one? (laughs) As a song, no. As a cultural moment for sitcoms, yes. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think it's kind of 
really messed up that the Family Matters theme song <laughs> wasn't a hit song. Why was this song a hit song, but not as days go by? That's catchy as hell, too. Why this one? Was it the claps? I I mean, if you ask the Rembrandts, they'll say yes. Yeah. I'm not sure how much you dug up, Chris, but man, this might be the song that the artist hates more than any <laughs> other one hit than any other song we've ever discussed. But they did say that uh, the hand claps at the end of the first line was a last minute addition, but they admitted that it was a wise decision and the best part of the song. <laughs> yeah. I guess first thing we should talk about is friends. How do we feel about friends? Are you a friends fan, Brian? I am a secretly guilty pleasure, stealthily diehard friends fan. Uh, it's wow, some, okay. It felt rebellious at the time when I liked Friends in middle school. <laughs> it really did. You're the first person ever to say that watching Friends feels rebellious. No, you know what though, Chris? I I'm going to I'm going to say that I kind of agree with Brian. I'm currently listening to the Best of Friends podcast, which is like a Friends recap show, and they're like, "Look, when you're 10 watching this show, like they're talking about sex a lot for like a okay. mainstream show that you're watching as a kid. Okay, I guess I wasn't thinking about that that aspect. No, but it. also, like honestly, if I went to school and told the other boys that I was watching Friends, I would have been ridiculed. <laughs> it wasn't cool to watch Friends. Like it was cool <laughs> among like a certain subset, but but when I was watching, it's like. So I started watching Friends and sitcoms in general. I consider myself a sitcom uh, student, sitcom junkie, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, by the way. Right. Uh, the sitcom is dead. Long live the sitcom. Right. <laughs> I used to just, you know, go, tell my mom I was going to bed, then put my little TV on in my room, and whatever was running on syndication, I'd watch like uh, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whenever it was, sometimes till midnight. And that was Friends. That was Frasier, right? Like, yeah. w- w- but what kind of, you know, uh, sixth grader is watching Frasier? I was. Um, so, <laughs> and you, you know people you went to school and they were talking Dawson's Creek and I wanted to talk about Frasier and, and Friends and, right. and things like that so it wasn't cool to like Friends like I only came out really as a Friends fan in this like Friends revival <laughs> because like Gen Z for whatever reason really loves Friends and that kind of culturally revived it and I was like you know what? I'm open to talking about it now so I'm here <laughs> yeah, in okay. public talking about the show and this theme song i'm a new friends fan like i watched it i watched it when it originally aired and i bought a bunch of the dvds years ago out of nostalgia and watched it and was like "Ooh, this is not good and i kind of stopped watching it but then i uh due to a bunch of stuff happening in my life i decided to revisit friends because i was like you know what it's been a pretty dour couple months and i just need something that's like light-hearted fluff to put on and I just recently found out about the Best of Friends podcast. So I'm like, this is perfect. They do two episodes an episode. So I'll watch two episodes, stop, listen to their podcast breakdown of those two episodes, watch the next two episodes. And that kind of became my viewing experience. And I'm not going to say it's a perfect sitcom by any stretch of the imagination. I, I heard someone once describe wrestling as like 99% of the time wrestling is really, really bad. But that 1% when it's really good, it's worth how bad the rest of it is. Ooh, speak my language. It, and I do, I do think that Friends kind of falls in that category of like, yeah, you got to sit through some stuff that didn't age well. You got to sit through some real problematic moments. But every once in a while, you just get an episode like the one with the prom video that is just like the perfection of sitcom television of the 90s where you're like, 
All right, it was worth the season and a half that I was feeling uncomfortable for the payoff of that episode. Yeah. When Ross was sitting on the steps working on his music, I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. that, was really, that, was, that was actually funny. I remember watching this show with my mom. My mom liked Friends, and it was part of Must See TV which, oh. with, yes, Frasier, Seinfeld, and I don't know. That was a rotating was a spot. Yeah. That, right. Like it just rotated a lot. Like things like Suddenly Susan, Caroline in the uh, City, City, you know. Uh Will and Grace you, yeah. after Seinfeld got in there. Yeah. So well, I was saying Grace Under Fire, which I think was another one that was very <laughs> oh, yeah, short. Butler. <laughs> Brett Butler's Grace Under Fire. Yeah, I remember that but, one. <laughs> but I do think that the other problem is like you know, you said like the sitcom is dead more than anything, like must see TV, like no longer exists. You know what I mean? Like must see Thursdays and like TGIF Fridays and snick on Nickelodeon. Like because of streaming, the idea of just like a two hour block of all of the biggest shows playing back to back is just like not a thing that exists well, anymore. <laughs> dude, NBC sent it off right though. The Thursday night of the office parks and rec community and 30 rock. Yeah. That was the, greatest four shows in a row ever and that's kind of where it ended right yeah that's pretty much it it fizzed out at that point now the closest thing we have is probably like abbott elementary or something yeah and and it's okay i mean i know people love it i get it i like that it highlights teachers or whatever but i don't think it's really that funny it's good it's kind of heartwarming but i don't really think it's that funny it's just not the same i mean right we're talking you know, right before the internet boom, an era from the like 60s, I guess late 50s, 60s through the 90s, where the sitcom is the main comedic art form in this mm-hmm. country, right? Like, uh, at least the most broadcasted, right? And when I say most broadcasted, uh, what I think it's Chuck Klosterman's book on the 90s where he mentions this, like, I think it might be specifically about friends or something, but like the 10th rated show in like whatever year in the 90s. Gets more ratings than anything on television, aside from like the Super Bowl in the last like 10, 15 years. Like, there's only a couple channels, <laughs> and we just watched this. Uh, we, like, we were there, but you know, that generation right, just right. watched this stuff. That's like music sales. It's the same thing as music sales. <laughs> like, yeah, in the 90s and early 2000s, people were selling such ridiculous amounts of albums, but those don't exist anymore. That yeah, doesn't happen anymore. That wasn't it? I feel like there was something that was like, you know, take any random week over the last like 10 years and the record sales of like the number one best-selling album of that week would have been like number 40 on the charts in the 90s like wow. for the same amount of sales like it's like it's so disproportionate now well brian you also kind of a controversial pick here uh because this the band the rembrandts in 2014 simultaneously was on insider's greatest one hit wonders list as well as rolling stone's greatest two hit wonders list <laughs> Um, yeah, what's their other hit? <laughs> what, what, so news to me. Yeah, yeah. So the whole story is in 1989 they formed the group after their previous band Great Buildings broke up. Did you listen to Great Buildings? I didn't, but I did see that was a power pop group, and I, that got me interested. I did. I did listen to Great Buildings. I'll tell you this: they were from all the way back in 1981. It was eight years later that the Rembrandt started. I listened to Great Buildings. They had a song called Hold On to Something, which really reminded me like 
almost maybe too much of the Joe Jackson song "I'm the Man." Ooh, <laughs> that's that a that good song? song. It's a real good yeah, song. It's a real good song. Always makes me think of uh, Freaks and Geeks. That scene in Freaks and Geeks where they crash the car. Love that song. But that's that's what that sounded like. I listened to a song called "Another Day in My Life" and another song called "And the Light Goes On." They were all pretty good, straightforward rock, and they were all kind of in the vein of like Rick Springfield. Ooh, it was pretty good. Def- I definitely got to check out Great that's Buildings. Awesome. But yeah. they released a self-titled debut in 1990 that had a song called Just The Way It Is, Baby. That not only hit number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100, but it's worth noting that I'll Be There For You peaked at 17 on the Billboard Hot 100. Wow. So their first single was a higher charting song than I'll Be There For You. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. I listened to it, never heard it. Like, I was like, let me check out this just the way it is, baby. I have no recollection of this song. I did, too. I listened to it, and I watched the music video, which features the two guys. I believe it is Danny Danny and Phil, the two guys, Danny and Phil. They're walking across the salt flats. Oh, you know, so many yeah. videos have been filmed oh. at the salt flats. <laughs> There's a random, sexy, very 1990 woman <laughs> making appearances throughout the video. They're both wearing sunglasses and dressed in black. They're walking across the salt flats playing their guitars. The song isn't bad. It's basically like mid-tempo, easy-listening rock is the way I would put it. They had a second album. Some minor singles came from that. One of the songs from their second album even made it onto the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. Which yeah, is, Rolling Down That Hill. Yeah. Or rolling, rolling Down the Hill. Not to be, conf- not to be confused <laughs> with Running Up That Hill. Yes. <laughs> which we'll get to Kate Bush later because there's a really? whole other thing. Yeah, not, it's very indirect. But <laughs> so here's, here's a big reason why I think these guys hate this song. So Danny and Phil... Did not write I'll Be There For You, or at least most of it. The first verse and chorus was written by the creators of Friends with Allie Willis, uh, Willis, who co-wrote September and Boogie Wonderland for Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. Um, She also went on to win Grammys for the Beverly Hills Cop and uh, Color Purple soundtracks. And in in 2018, she was the only woman that was inducted that year into the Songwriter Hall of Fame. They wrote the song because R.E.M. did not want to give them Shiny Happy People as the theme song for Friends. That was the original Friends theme song. They were forced to write more lyrics because a Nashville program director started playing the song in a loop to create a full-length version for radio play and the record label was like this thing ain't slowing down you guys have got to write more verses and a bridge to this song and put it on your next album and and that's what they did but uh they have gone on to say that uh in in 1995 at the peak of this song phil specifically was being interviewed by mtv news and he apologized for the existence of the song (laughs) and said that them as a group do not want to hang their hats on being the guys who wrote a theme song for a TV show as they've been working far too long on their craft the last 20 years for that to be their legacy. Unfortunately, it was their legacy. <laughs> but. Uh, it's, it's all it's all very interesting. It makes me think if I were in their shoes, what would you, what would you guys want? If you were in their shoes and you're like, 
Okay, let's take the number 14 hit out of the equation. Just the way it is, baby, from a few years before. Let's take that out of the equation. You are a two-piece, <laughs> easy-listening <laughs> kind of pop rock group. I wouldn't even call it power pop. I would call it, like, pretty much adult contemporary. Uh, and you have this chance to be on the biggest show as the theme song. But that means that's what you're going to be remembered for. But you're going to make a lot of money. What do you do? I would do it, obviously. Yeah. But I like this stuff. Yeah. Like, that's that's why I <laughs> wanted to talk about this. Like, um, wh one of the weird quirks in my life, like, I love collecting soundtrack vinyl because I'm obsessed mm -hmm. with soundtracks. And specifically soundtracks like this where, where, like you said, the creator wrote the first part and was just like, here, musician, you know, give us a little. This is a jingle. This is a glorified jingle, essentially. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. I love how when you look at the history of sitcom themes and all those, you know, great ones in the 80s, like like Growing Pains and Family Ties, oh. and where oh. they're just getting more and more telling you what this is about and telling you literally <laughs> how to feel. This is why this is <laughs> right. the peak of it. This song tells you how to feel. And I, I bring up the rebellious thing earlier, too, because... Friend, the Friends creators, they felt rebellious making this show, believe it or not. right? It was a little bit different than the traditional sitcoms that everyone was used to. It was about young people hanging out. They were going to talk a little bit more sex, as you said. And they were going to be edgy. And they were REM fans. They felt like Friends, believe it or not, was alternative. Yeah. <laughs> Today, well, they, that's so weird to see. <laughs> but the other thing that's really funny about Friends is that there is this... Quoting someone who was on the Best of Friends podcast, but I... I like the sentiment where they were like, there was this ongoing battle of like friends versus Seinfeld, right? Because they were like airing around the same time. Um, and the one girl was like, you know, that's a fair fight. But my dad used to always say the bigger fight was Seinfeld versus home improvement because they played against each other. And anyone who said, I don't want to watch Seinfeld, I'd rather watch home improvement was like someone that he couldn't fully trust as a human being since. <laughs> but but the cool thing with the the interesting thing with Friends and Seinfeld is like at the peak of Friends's popularity. Do you remember like must see TV would do these weird like themed episodes, right? Where they'd be like, "All right, it's the blackout night on must see TV." So every th single show, since all the shows took place in New York, had to write a plot line based on there was a blackout in New York, and what does every character from each sitcom go through, or like. Wow. They would have characters from each other's shows showing up as if they're all living in like this one NBC alternative reality of New York, except for Seinfeld. Larry David repeatedly was like, I am not doing that. <laughs> like they tried so hard to do the big Seinfeld friends crossover and he just was not having it. Like him and Jerry refused to play any of that game with NBC. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, I'm I t uh, over. I've maybe been a little bit influenced over the past couple years, and I don't know if you guys <laughs> past many years if you guys follow Seinfeld 2000 on Twitter. Oh, it's so and good. It, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just always like hating on friends <laughs> still to this day, and I I think I've been influenced by that. I will say that I was stuck at the car dealership getting my car serviced for like five hours because they told me they needed to do something, and my phone had like. 10% battery left or something. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And the only thing I could do was watch Friends, which was on the TV <laughs> and the waiting thing. And I got to say, it was pretty torturous. It was bad. 
And uh, so I kind of have a bad taste in my mouth about Friends. But look, <laughs> we're not really here to talk about Friends. I know we've talked about it a lot. That That's a whole other thing. We are here to talk about the Rembrandts. And I don't know. I dove into some more stuff, and it's it's not I, – I keep coming back to this. I expected to absolutely hate this band, and I really don't. Yeah. Like, I think they're kind of good. I think they kind of have a point. They made this song that became – so annoying <laughs> you know it, it wasn't high on the charts people weren't necessarily requesting it on the radio like crazy if it only went to number 17 it was just it's one of the things it's probably one of the first things maybe one of the first 50 things someone would name about the 90s yeah is like this song is such a uh, 90s touch point I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Controversial opinion. I think that the creators of Friends wrote a better verse than the Rembrandts did. <laughs> Looking at Ooh. that first verse compared to the second verse lyrically. Let's compare them. What yeah. are they? I know it's... So no one told you? So right? so no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA. Love that rhyme scheme. Yeah. I do actually love that. <laughs> it's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. I think that, I, that's a great first verse. It is. It, there's a lot of clever wordplay there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as annoying as the song is, I, I think that's good. Now, what's the, but what's the... I don't think I... Is this one of those situations where they didn't play the second verse? They would have as on a radio single, possibly, but on the show, never. So this is the verse that the Rembrandts wrote. You're still in bed at 10 and work begins at 8. You burned your breakfast so far, things are going great. Your mother warned you there'd be days like these, but she didn't tell you when the world brought you down to your knees that I'll be there for you. Oh. Way worse first. Yeah, but the writers set the bar pretty high for t- <laughs> TV theme, TV theme song lyrics. That first verse, I got to give it to them. They they kind of knocked it out of the park. Dude, the the your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's doa is a legitimately yeah. good song lyric. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's also yeah, like 
they knew they had that hit already, so they just had to put filler <laughs> in, and they're like, here we go. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. I also, I, I just to throw it back to Friends one more time, because I can't imagine... You know, I'm thinking of the Friends opening credits as we know it of them like dancing around this fountain. Like, I just can't imagine that to like shiny, happy people marching. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I never liked that song. Shiny, happy people. I was always like, who likes this? And I, I like R.E.M. I like Stand and Stand is kind of a goofy song. But that song, Shiny, Happy People, that was just too over the top. Like... I can't believe that that was a hit. But you know how the uh, Ray Parker Jr., they told him, hey, write a song for Ghostbusters that sounds like I want a new drug. And he basically just wrote, I want a new drug <laughs> and, and, and said Ghostbusters over it. At least the Rembrandts didn't do that. Yeah, this doesn't sound true. like shiny, happy people. It does. The, the, the one through line is that it kind of puts you in that same state of mind where it's just so saccharine. So, almost annoyingly happy sounding. Yeah, you know that that's the that's the similarity, but it ends there. So while this song peaked at, and this is an, another adventure in Matt learning about different types of charts. So it peaked at seventeen on the Billboard Hot 100, but it did peak at number one on the Top 40 Airplay chart. <laughs> so this chart was started in 1992, and it measures the actual monitored airplay of a song so it was based on how often the song was physically being played on the radio i guess that means the billboard was a little bit more of like who was buying the single and i'm willing to bet that the fact that that single was probably coming out at the exact same time as the full friends soundtrack was coming out like i'm sure people were just like fuck it i'll just buy the friends soundtrack that's got like hootie and the blowfish and toad in the wet sprocket and bare naked ladies (laughs) on it and a bunch of re- it's actually a very Lisa good Loeb? soundtrack. Was Lisa, Lisa Loeb had to be? No, there, right? Lisa Loeb. No? I don't think made the cut. Let me. Lisa Loeb's the most Friends music I've ever heard in my life. So Friends, the music of the soundtrack featured Hootie and the Blowfish, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Lou Reed, Katie Lang, REM, Bare Naked Ladies, The Pretenders, Grant Lee Buffalo, Joni Mitchell, and Peter Westerbrook, who is the lead singer of The Replacements. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I thought I thought it was. Paul Westerberg. Yes, Paul Westerberg. I completely made up a <laughs> oh. <fake> name. <laughs> P- P- I was so confused. I'm like, Peter West. You messed up the first and last name. If we're, I if just we're made playing, up some shit. <laughs> if we're playing Matt DeStefano's uh, drinking <laughs> drink game to play to our podcast, people are so drunk right now. <laughs> but this also, it does have Peter so Westerberg. It does have some really good songs by these artists. It's got Hootie and the Blowfish covering I Go Blind, which I think is a really good cover. Uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket song, Good Intentions, was from this Ooh, album, which is a really good like song. That. I like that song. And uh, the Pretenders cover Angel in the Morning by Juice Newton on the soundtrack. It's got some good stuff on it. So it's like, why would I just buy this single when I can get the whole the whole album? I learned some fun facts. We're gonna do another another quick round of Matt Kelly guessing game show on this episode about the top 40 radio airplay chart. So like I said, this chart started in 1992. Can either one of you guess what was the very first number one song on the Billboard chart? Brian, you got a guess? No, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'm going to go with 92, Paula Abdul, Rush Rush. It was Boys to Men, End Ooh. of the Road. Oh, <laughs> ironic, because it's the beginning of the chart. I love it. Yeah. They knew what they oh, were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so based on how many times the song was played... What did the what did Billboard declare was the top 
pop song of all time on this chart. It gets easier after this. This is a really hard one. And it started in 1992. 1992. And this was only this. I will give you this hint because it's really fucking hard because the chart still exists today. Oh, does it? Um, this was only two years after the chart was launched that this song was still holds the record for the top pop song. You got a guess, Brian? I do not. This is this is a really hard game. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I have a guess. I'm going to say one sweet day. You would think, but it was Real McCoy's Another Night. No. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> another night, another dream, but I'll... How? Yeah. I you could have no... gave me 100,000 guesses. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have got there. All right. So with 12 weeks at number one, what song had the most time at number one on the chart? And this was also from 1994. I'll just say One Sweet Day again. <laughs> again, you would think Ace of Bass, The Sign. Oh, yeah. That All was right. a big one. So here we're leaning into a little bit more modern stuff. So from 1992 until 2022, three artists are currently tied for the top artist, which is the most number one singles. Uh, and they're tied at 11 singles that hit number one. With radio airplay. This with is radio, radio airplay. With radio airplay. And I will say that they're all within the last 10 years. Okay. Well, I know who one is. Okay, who is it? Taylor Swift. No. What? I know. <laughs> that was the guess I was keeping in the hopper. Then I don't know. What is... Uh, uh, Rihanna, okay. Katy yeah. Perry, and Maroon 5 all okay. have 11 number one hits on this chart. 11? Now, of yeah, of that artist, of those three artists... One of them has the most combined weeks at number one with 47 <laughs> weeks at number one. I know it's going to be Maroon 5. Brian, do you agree with that? Or are you going to go against that? I'll say Katy Perry just so I have a different answer. Point to Brian. It yes. was Katy Perry. Wow. She also has the most number one singles off of one album, which was Teenage Dream, had six number one singles off of it. Six. Wow. Good for Katy Perry. One of those three artists also holds the record for the most top 10 singles. That's Rihanna. Yeah. That is Rihanna with 30. That. 30 yeah. number yeah. one, or 30 songs <laughs> that hit the top 10. She also holds the record for the most songs that have ever been on the chart with 50 songs that have made it onto this top Whoa. 40 chart. Wow. Two songs tied for the highest debut at number 12. Can you guess what those songs are? Highest debut. And number 12 was the highest debut? The highest debut. We may wow. have mentioned one of them already. One Sweet Day. No. <laughs> Okay. Well, you got the artist right, but no. Oh, end of the red. Yeah, I guess that doesn't count. If I guess if the song was number one when they started the chart, that doesn't really count yeah. as highest debut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was Dream Lover by Mariah Carey and Shake It Off mm. by Taylor Swift. Oh, both uh, yeah. debuted at number one. I've only got one more question here. And this is fairly recent. What song, which was in the last year, holds Whoa. the most weeks hanging out in the top ten? Whoa, is it in the last year? Yeah, actually, there's two more. Sorry, I lied. With 40 weeks in the top 10. I so don't live in the moment because like, I can't even name a song that like, uh, is that phenomenally popular in this year. I'm trying to think of what that would be. Like, Is that like a Post Malone song or something? No, but you're in the right ballpark. It's Stay by Kid Lori featuring Justin oh, Bieber. Geez. Oh, Jesus. I would have never guessed that. And then also in the last, like I would say, two years, what song has had the most weeks ever on the chart with 60 weeks? Whoa. Uh, yeah, go ahead and say it. I, I don't know. The Weekend Blinding Lights. Oh, oh. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So a few of the other fun facts. Kate Bush broke the record for the oldest song to ever appear on the chart. 
37. Lady Gaga is the only artist to ever have her first six singles all hit number one on the chart. Wow. And to go back to that weekend one, I found this to be a really interesting fact. Prior to the year 2018, the song with the most weeks in the chart was I'll Be by Edwin McCain with 41 weeks (laughs) in 1998. It was a record that was held for over two decades before radio stations begin to ha- began having more data points such, such as streaming information to increase their accuracy on measuring what radio listeners wanted to hear and made longer runs in the chart more commonplace. Wow. Hey, I, I have a quick Edwin McCain story for you. Oh, no. <laughs> Back when Facebook's algorithms were different, I would say maybe eight or nine years ago, I used to comment on brands like... I would go to like Tylex's Facebook page and be like, I love your product. And they would write back to me like, thanks so much. But when they wrote back to me, it made like most of my friends see that. <laughs> that I was that I was interacting with like Wendy's and Tylex and, you know, all these like random companies. And people like people would always say that it's really funny you do that. And sometimes these companies will like send me stuff. Oh. And yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, I got Wendy's gift certificates. I got that's kind of how the Eggland's Best thing started, Matt. How I like started getting this free stuff from oh, Egg, Eggland's Best, where the person who was running the Eggland's Best account was a Punchline fan, and, and then he started he started sending me like tr- trucks, Eggland Best toy trucks, and and stuffed plush eggs, and coupons for free eggs at the store. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this, but. At that same time, I started just commenting on all of Edwin Edwin McCain's posts and, <laughs> and trying to get him to respond to me. And just I that's just I don't know why I picked him to just start commenting on all all his posts. I believe at some point he responded to me. Oh, was, but, uh, I'm glad it has a happy ending. I was waiting yeah, for that. Yeah. One, <laughs> one of these days we'll do an Edmund McQuin, uh, McCain wow. episode because <laughs> I've got <laughs> I've got a story for him. <laughs> <laughs> don't call him don't call him Edmund Edmund McQuain, please. <laughs> uh, also I do want to just shout out we went through most of the lyrics but I also don't think that the bridge that they wrote for this song is very incredible either which was no one will ever know me no one will ever see me seems like you're the only one who knows what it's like to be me someone to face the day with make it through all the rest with someone who will always laugh with even at the worst, I'm best with you. Dude, I had that in my notes. I hate the bridge of this song. The bridge of this song is horrendous. I'm sorry, Rembrandt, if you listen. And again, you probably don't care because they also pronounce like the "see me" really weird. I thought they were saying "sue me" for the longest <laughs> time. They sing it so strangely. <laughs> hey, well, look, they weren't too thrilled with this song. No, I, I, that's I, why I, I'm giving them guff because I'm sure that they probably threw those that verse and that bridge together within like a 24-hour turnaround. Well, time. I got two, two things I want to bring up to you guys and see how you feel about it. One, you're, can you imagine a world, and I was trying to do this earlier, can you imagine a world where this song exists as just a song? Friends, take the friends out of the equation. You didn't see that intro theme to the show. This song just exists and comes on. Wow, that's pretty hard. Um, yeah, I know, right? You you picture the fountain, you picture the friends. You can't not. That's insane to actually try to to process. <laughs> like, would it, it be a hit? Would it be a hit? I mean, it's catchy. I don't know if it would be, but but you'd have to imagine. See, the thing that's different. God, it's hard to say because the best part, what we what we kind of agreed is the most catchy, iconic part, was written 
by the creators of Friends yeah, take, for it. Yeah, but, but take like, that out of the take. We don't need to think about that in this. Just think about the song, because to me, the the song is a novelty a, theme song. It yeah. is not really a pop hit. Yeah. It is, sounds like a theme song. It does. Uh, yeah, I can see that. No, I, I can see I agree, like you're right. I agree. It, I hundred percent agree. I was trying to think of like you know what would I have purchased something with this song on it if it wasn't related to friends and probably not it's it like i said it's a glorified jingle it's yeah just the theme um it's a, again it doesn't sound like those 80s themes i was saying it's not like oh you know family love but it's like still it doesn't feel like a whole song you know yeah <laughs> yeah this extended version i don't even remember the bridge i i thought i knew this song well enough that i i dove into all the rest of the rembrandt's catalog and didn't even bother listening to this uh maybe maybe i should have the other thing i was going to say to you is picture you're in the rembrandt's and you just finished recording and you're listening to this back through the studio speakers for the first time how do you feel do you feel like oh this is the most undeniable song I've ever heard in my life. Or are you like feeling uneasy about like, oh, guys, I don't know. I mean, we did write that. So- <laughs> this is this is a lot different than um, just the way it is, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they probably were at a crossroads where they're like, hey, you know, if this show does well, well, we'll make some money and we can make some more of the music we want to make. And I don't think they ex- obviously expected it to get as big as yeah, it was. Yeah, because that's right. There, we're, we're thinking about this from the perspective of people who know that Friends had this like mammoth run of 10 years where like everybody made a lot of money <laughs> while making that show. But yeah, at the time that they're sitting in the studio... For all they know, this is still the theme to Insomnia Cafe, which was the original <laughs> name of Friends, and they had no clue if it was even going to go beyond being a pilot. You know what I mean? Like They're like, all right, we recorded this thing. Maybe no one will ever hear this. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for all they knew, it could have ra- ran six episodes, and that was the end of it. Yeah, that that's a really good point. They weren't responsible. But hey, here's, another, here's one more really interesting question. Is the theme song part of the show's success? Was the theme song so catchy and so good that in that early run when it wasn't when you're not sure if the show is going to get picked back up or not, was this like a little bonus? The fact that the song was so well liked that it got people to watch the show. I think is there a chance of that? I really think that the hand claps did so much heavy lifting because like even as a kid when I was like barely watching Friends, I would at least wait for the theme song and like as a kid would like clap along <laughs> with the claps because yeah. it's just a fun thing to do. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I, maybe <laughs> I friends was never a show that was in danger of being canceled. It was like a hit right away, but I think you're on something with the collapse map because it's like, that's just like the thing that draws you into that theme song. You could be somewhere in the house, you know, boom, it's eight o'clock or eight thirty whenever the show ran. And it's like, and, yeah. and you're there. So I, yeah. I do think it's a part of the overall aesthetic. I think it would have been successful without it, but it's certainly, helped package this cool, again, this cool little show about young people in New York, and this is what you want to be, right? Like, I, I right. think it really helped. But I can yeah. categorically tell you a memory right now. It's 1995. <laughs> I'm probably at a birthday party at the local skate palace in our area where people would just go and they'd have these, like, roller skating parties. And I can promise you that there was a point where we're on our skates and we're just going in a circle because that's all you can really do at the skate palace. <laughs> And they play the Friends theme song, and every person 
on that skating rink all claps in unison <laughs> at the part that they're supposed to clap. <laughs> I would do that. I would do that right now. So, so to close this chapter real quick, by this was 1995, this was a hit. By 1997, the band split up. Phil went back to Minneapolis to try to focus on his band, Thrush. <laughs> 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 and and in 1998, Danny Wilde released Spin This, which was credited to Danny Wilde and the Rembrandts. Oh. But in 2000, a few years later, 2000, Danny and Phil reunited to release the album Lost Together, which at that point, I can only assume they were like, oh, my God, we're the Friends band. <laughs> what, what do we do? We're lost. We got to get back together and start this band back up. Uh, and they were the Rembrandts again. They released a greatest hits album. On Rhino in 2006, which included several of the what were they called? Great, great building songs. Yeah. So it was a 20 song career spanning retrospective. And then they released a new album in 2019 called Via Satellite. And I watched some pandemic videos of them. The, the pandemic videos that like my band did, that every band did where, you know, you you get your tracks and you put them into a video and they sounded pretty good. Yeah. Like they were good. And that's kind of where we're at. The Rembrandts are still a band. Yeah. <laughs> And if you dive back into them, it's very adult, contemporary rock, kind of middle of the road, mid-tempo. They sing pretty well. They're going to be remembered for this and only this, unfortunately. You know, Uh, I guess we we should give them a little bit of credit for, like, they do have that good dual harmony vibe going, a la, like, the Everly Brothers or, like, even, like, a Paul and Simon where it's, like, you listen to the song, it's two voices simultaneously oh, that kind of bleed it. into a singular voice almost. You gotta leave all these in for the drinking game because pa- calling Simon and Garfunkel Paul and Simon is the biggest fuck you to Art Garfunkel I've, I've ever heard in my I've ever heard in my life. And, and, oh, Paul, pa- Paul and Simon. Hey, <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna. I gotta talk to you guys about one more thing. I know. I know we gotta do the the thunder or blunder thing here, but I gotta tell you, I looked up some other theme songs that made the charts. Oh, nice. And and I found that a lot, a lot of the ones that made the charts were from the '60s. And uh, like Bonanza hit number 19 <laughs> in 1961. Beverly Hillbillies hit number 44 in 1963, which is really funny. Like, can you imagine, like, calling the radio station, like, you got to play the Beverly Hill, <laughs> like, Hillbillies Like, the question song. you just asked, like, could the theme song exist without the show? Imagine asking that question <laughs> yeah. for the Beverly Hillbillies. Like, <laughs> Dude, do you want to know the two songs that for 20 years I've been asking that about? What if these songs existed as just songs and there was no show? The two that always come to mind are... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which <laughs> could you imagine if that was just a song? If that, I would say that if that was just a song that a show didn't exist, that song would be way bigger because he'd be like, oh my God, what drugs were these guys on when they wrote this? And the other one I always think of, like, what if this was just a song? And it seriously makes me laugh every time I think of it is DuckTales. Oh, yeah. Because that song is incredible. And could you imagine hearing that and being like, wow. Life is like an airplane here. And then, like, did, wait, did he just say Duckburg? Wait, where, where's Duck? Wait, what, what are DuckTales? Yeah, what, what's a duck I, blur? I, yeah, <laughs> dude, but that is such a good song. But, hey, I'm going to continue. I want to continue with more of these songs. In 1966, the no, it went to number three on the Hot 100, Secret Agent Man, which uh, I didn't even know that Secret Agent was a show. Yeah. Yep. 
But that makes sense. That's a pretty good song. You still hear it sometimes now. The Batman theme went to number 17 in 1966. Could that exist without the show? It just says Batman. <laughs> if, if the whole concept of Batman never existed <laughs> and there was a song called Batman, that sounds like something that Bobby Boris Pickett would have written. <laughs> hey, in 1968, Mission Impossible theme went to number 41. Okay. In 1969, the Hawaii 5 song went to number yeah, four yeah. on the charts. I can see that. Uh, here's a funny one. In 1972, now this is the adult contemporary charts. Number 30 on the adult contemporary charts, which is a goal that I would strive to hit number 30 on the adult contemporary charts. That'd be fun. But uh, the All in the Family theme. Oh, my goodness. I yeah. mean, that's a good song. <laughs> and you knew what you wanted. <laughs> have that on vinyl. Nice. <laughs> In 1976, this is a pretty good one. At number five, we had the Happy Days theme song. Yes, which I do want to give a quick Happy Days shout out. We got a message on our Patreon page because we recently did a Patreon bonus episode. We were talking about songs that were used as TV show theme songs that were popular elsewhere written for for actual albums. And someone pointed out that the Happy Days theme didn't come out until season three. And the first oh. two seasons were Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets from the 50s. Wow. Here's a couple more. 1976 as well. And number 25 was the Laverne and Shirley theme song. Oh. Which, that's a that's top a five theme one. song for me, I think. That's, I that's love that song. Really that's a really good one. one. <laughs> and then this is also a really good one. Same year. This one went to number one was... Welcome back. Oh, Welcome of back course. Home. This is a great song. Number one song. Great song. Number one. Great song. That's why. John Sebastian, who uh, you might know him from The Lovin' Spoonful, is who sang that. And that is, yeah, that is just a great song. But on that's its own. not the last one to hit number one, right? I feel like there was at least two more in the was 80s there? that hit number one, wasn't there? See, I didn't. I, here's the other ones I had, like, honorable mention Cops, <laughs> The Bad Boys Inner Circle. I remember that. That was like a hit. That was being played on the radio. The Bodines Closer to Free. Yeah. Which was what? Party of Five? That Is was that Party what that of was? Five. Um, How Do You Talk to an Angel from the Heights was a hit. I guess supposedly Growing Pains made the charts. Whoa. That's a great song. But I was thinking, didn't Miami Vice hit number one? Oh, did it? I could only imagine. I feel like that hit number one, and I'm pretty sure if it didn't hit number one, I'm pretty sure, believe it or not, from Great American Hero also was, charted super high. <laughs> I was going to bring that one up. I don't know how high it went, but man, is that a good song. <laughs> only made better by George Costanza's voicemail. Which <laughs> believe it or not, George is in at home. You see, see, we're waxing poetic about the nostalgia of sitcoms. There yes, you go. Yes, that's comes, right. Well, Brian, before we do our before we even do our rankings, because that's just such a beautiful segue for me to jump on. This is, sitcoms isn't the only thing you wax nostalgic about on a regular basis. You have a podcast all about the teen flick, or I guess more so the high school flick. You want to tell us about that real quick? Yes, I host a podcast called High School Slumber Party. I've been hosting it for a long time now. It feels like. Uh, so yeah, we talk teen films, but high school films. I'm glad you put it that way because we look at all perspectives, right? Like we look at the um, we don't just do like the Can't Hardly Waits, though. We love doing the Can't Hardly Waits. But, you know, we, we do serious movies, movies that are more from the teacher's perspective or just happen to take place in your in, in one's youth, right? Like an American mm-hmm. graffiti. Um, so it, it's a really fun show, a really fun journey. We're kind of now bogged down in some weird films, but I've been saving some good ones for this year. So about to drop, well, 
this year and next year, so I'm about to drop that. Because, like, I haven't done 10 Things I Hate About You or Mean Girls or, or some films like that, and I plan to. If you don't like what I'm rambling about right now, you're probably not going to like the show because I ramble a lot. <laughs> but, but if you do like the sound of my voice, then, you know, tune in to High Swiss Lumber Party. Just It's wherever you get your podcasts. So I guess that's my spiel. And uh, Chris, you'll you'll like this fun fact. I met Brian when Ryan Stick connected the two of us for our mutual love of Muppets. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. The Stick connection. I love the Stick connection. <laughs> but what are we thinking about the Rembrandts, guys? The the Rembrandts thunder or blunder is the question. Brian, we don't have a we don't have a uh, real set in stone. Sometimes we take the whole catalog into consideration. Sometimes we just take the song. Sometimes it's just a vibe. But do you consider the Rembrandts thunder or blunder is the real question. I, uh, I don't know because it's like, I don't, it's yeah. I, I have to co- consider the entire catalog. I didn't hear much of it, but the idea that this, I don't know why they could, should be mad at this song because if it got people to listen to that other stuff, which is so different, um, I think that's pretty cool. I, do you guys? Why do you guys leave just two choices here? Thunder or blunder? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. What else would there be? Like um, plunder? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else. We may. We need to introduce a third choice. I don't know what it would be. I'm gonna say thunder, but okay. not because of this song. Honestly. All right. E- everything else, ironically. So I'm gonna say thunder. I also don't want them to come after me because I've seen that happen to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have upset people. <laughs> we don't want another Jan Arden situation. <laughs> I've been sucking up to Jan Arden for like six months now. <laughs> the other day, someone came at her on Twitter, and then I responded to that person, like, like really, really talking shit on him. And like over a hundred people liked my reply. So I was like, I'm, I'm redeeming myself to Jan Arden. <laughs> yeah. So look, do you want me to? You go, Matt, because I got, well, I got a good point. I think I do want to shout out that I really appreciate the naming of their first three albums, which were. The Rembrandts, the Rembrandts Untitled, and the Rembrandts LP. Great for SEO. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a blunder their way. Actually, I, I've I've been throwing a lot of blunders the last couple of weeks. Actually, but I'm throwing a blunder their way. I, I'm sure I'll love when I check out some of the Great Buildings stuff. But like the few songs that I checked out from just their solo stuff didn't wow me. Like I said, I think that the verses that were written by the Friends writers are better than the verses written by the Rembrandts even in this song. Here's what I'm going to say. I expected to come into this episode and be like, oh, God, I've been dreading this one. The Rembrandts, are you kidding me, his TV theme song? Listen to some music, and I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of good. It's it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Here's an important point that I want to make to you guys I meant to make during the episode. We normally talk about the songs that are in the charts at the time where this song peaks. This song peaked at number 17. At that time, I want you to listen to some of the other songs that were in the charts. Only Want to Be With You by Hootie and a Blowfish. Mm-hmm. Carnival by Natalie Merchant was one higher. Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. Uh, Delamitri Roll to Me. And even Matthew Sweet Sick of Myself. These are all pretty, like, sugary. Like, they fit perfectly with the Rembrandt style. Like, if Roll to Me by Delamitri was the theme song for Friends, it would be the same sort of thing. It's like yeah. over-the-top pop look like it, it there's no there's not a minor chord to be found you know what i mean like it is just it, it is that's what it is and that being said it's this song is very 1995 it goes right along with everything that's there 
And I like the fact that the Rembrandt stuck it out. They released the freaking greatest hits album. And they're still <laughs> a band. And they were doing the, the lockdown videos during the pandemic. I mean, they stuck it out. I think they're pretty good. And I'm going to go blunder. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go thunder. <laughs> I'll, go, <laughs> I'll go thunder on the Rembrandt. Big surprise for me. That's why I love doing this show. I thought I was going to come in here and just make fun of this band. And instead... I think they're pretty cool. You sold me. That was awesome. I'm like all <laughs> gung-ho about my Thunder thing now. It, you know, it just made me think like, right, the Cold War is over. We haven't hit <laughs> 9-11 yet. And we're, ju- right. we're just in this sweet spot where we're just like having fun and g- g- grabbing coffee <laughs> Bill, with our friends. I'm glad, and- I'm glad you brought Bill, up September 11th, though. Uh, a day- Bill, Clinton, Bill a- Clinton's playing a saxophone. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. I love that you brought up 9-11, though, a, a event in human history that uh, definitely does not exist within the Friends universe, <laughs> even though it takes place in New York and was on the air when it happened. As far as Friends is concerned, in their alternative universe, nothing bad ever happened. Wow, no 9-11 in the Friends verse? <laughs> no. no, you can't rock wow. you can't rock that vibe in the Friends verse. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jeez. I mean, they, they like subtly acknowledged it. They would wear like NYPD shirts occasionally. Yeah. Like, we support you, but we're just not going to talk about it. Wow. <laughs> This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the Punchline song Something Happened in 1988 off their album Lion. Visit punchlion.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash ohtpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and myself at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us in your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. Say I got no say on you. You know that's right there in the works. You heard. Cause something happened in 1988 Way it hit me when I was barely there Ready to go from the next house down some stuff when I You're listening to the Geekscape Network Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that, uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, 
think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel... They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.